Chapter Nine of the Spoils of Poynton. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Spoils of Poynton by Henry James. Chapter Nine. In knowing a while before all she needed, she had been far from knowing as much as that. So that once upstairs, where, in her room, with her sense of danger and trouble, the age of Louis Seize suddenly struck her as wanting in taste and point. She felt she now for the first time knew her temptation. Owen had put it before her with an art beyond his own dream. Mona would cast him off if he didn't proceed to extremities. If his negotiation with his mother should fail, he would be completely free. That negotiation depended on a young lady to whom he had pressingly suggested the condition of his freedom, and as if to aggravate the young lady's predicament, designing fate had sent Mrs. Gareth, as the parlour-maid said, up the back road. This would give the young lady the more time to make up her mind that nothing should come of the negotiation. There would be different ways of putting the question to Mrs. Gareth, and Fleda might profitably devote the moments before her return to a selection of the way that would be most surely tantamount to failure. This selection indeed required no great adroitness. It was so conspicuous that failure would be the reward of an effective introduction of Mona. If that abhorred name should be properly invoked, Mrs. Gareth would resist to the death, and before envenomed resistance Owen would certainly retire. His retirement would be into single life, and Fleda reflected that he had now gone away conscious of having practically told her so. She could only say, as she waited for the back road to disgorge, that she hoped it was a consciousness he enjoyed. There was something she enjoyed, but that was a very different matter. To know that she had become to him an object of desire gave her wings that she felt herself flutter in the air. It was like the rush of a flood into her own accumulations. These stored depths had been fathomless and still, but now, for half an hour, in the empty house, they spread till they overflowed. He seemed to have made it right for her to confess to herself her secret. Strange, then, that there should be for him in return nothing that such a confession could make right. How could it make right that he should give up Mona for another woman? His attitude was a sorry appeal to Fleda to legitimate that. But he didn't believe it himself, and he had none of the courage of his perversity. She could easily see how wrong everything must be, when a man so made to be manly was wanting in courage. She had upset him, as people called it, and he had spoken out from the force of the jar of finding her there. He had upset her, too, heaven knew, but she was one of those who could pick themselves up. She had the real advantage, she considered, of having kept him from seeing she had been overthrown. She had, moreover, at present completely recovered her feet, though there was in the intensity of the effort required to do so a vibration which throbbed away into an immense allowance for the young man. How could she after all know what, in the disturbance wrought by his mother, Mona's relations with him might have become? If he had been able to keep his wits, such as they were, more about him, he would probably have felt, as sharply as she felt on his behalf, that so long as those relations were not ended, he had no right to say even the little he had said. 
He had no right to appear to wish to draw in another girl to help him run away. If he was in a plight, he must get out of the plight himself. He must get out of it first, and anything he should have to say to anyone else must be deferred and detached. She herself, at any rate—it was her own case that was in question—couldn't dream of assisting him, save in the sense of their common honour. She could never be the girl to be drawn in. She could never lift her finger against Mona. There was something in her that would make it a shame to her forever to evoke her happiness to an interference. It would seem intolerably vulgar to her to have ousted the daughter of the Brigstocks, and merely to have abstained even wouldn't assure her she had been straight. Nothing was really straight, but to justify her little pensioned presence by her use, and now, won over as she was to heroism, she could see her use only as some high and delicate deed. She couldn't, in short, do anything at all, unless she could do it with a kind of pride, and there would be nothing to be proud of in having arranged for poor Owen to get off easily. Nobody had a right to get off easily from pledges so deep and so sacred. How could Fleda doubt that they had been tremendous, when she knew so well what any pledge of her own would be? If Mona was so formed that she could hold such vows light, that was Mona's peculiar business. To have loved Owen, apparently, and yet to have loved him only so much, only to the extent of a few tables and chairs, was not a thing she could so much as try to grasp. Of a different manner of loving, she was herself ready to give an instance, an instance of which the beauty, indeed, would not be generally known. It would not, perhaps, if revealed, be generally understood, inasmuch as the effect of the particular pressure she proposed to exercise would be, should success attend it, to keep him tied to an affection that had died a sudden and violent death. Even in the ardour of her meditation, Fleda remained in sight of the truth that it would be an odd result of her magnanimity to prevent her friend's shaking off a woman he disliked. If he didn't dislike Mona, what was the matter with him? And if he did, Fleda asked, what was the matter with her own silly self? Our young lady met this branch of the temptation, it pleased her frankly to recognize, by declaring that to encourage any such cruelty would be tortuous and base. She had nothing to do with his dislikes, she had only to do with his good nature and his good name. She had joy of him just as he was but it was of these things that she had the greatest. The worst aversion and the liveliest reaction wouldn't alter the fact, since one was facing facts, that but the other day his strong arms must have clasped a remarkably handsome girl as close as she had permitted. Fleda's emotion at this time was a wondrous mixture, in which Mona's permissions and Mona's beauty figured powerfully as aids to reflection. She herself had no beauty, and her permissions were the stony stairs she had just practised in the drawing-room, a consciousness of a kind appreciably to add to the particular sense of triumph that made her generous. I may not, perhaps, too much diminish the merit of that generosity, if I mention that it could take the flight we are considering, just because really, with the telescope of her long thought, Fleda saw what might bring her out of the wood. Mona herself would bring her out. At least, Mona possibly might. Deep down plunged the idea that even should she achieve what she had promised Owen, 
there was still the contingency of Mona's independent action. She might by that time, under stress of temper, or of whatever it was that was now moving her, have said or done the things there is no patching up. If the rupture should come from Waterbath, they might all be happy yet. This was a calculation that Fleda wouldn't have committed to paper, but it affected the total of her sentiments. She was meanwhile so remarkably constituted, that while she refused to profit by Owen's mistake, even while she judged it and hastened to cover it up, she could drink a sweetness from it that consorted little with her wishing it mightn't have been made. There was no harm done, because he had instinctively known, poor dear, with whom to make it, and it was a compensation for seeing him worried that he hadn't made it with some horrid mean girl who would immediately have dished him by making a still bigger one. Their protected error, for she indulged a fancy that it was hers too, was like some dangerous lovely living thing that she had caught and could keep, keep vivid and helpless in the cage of her own passion, and look at and talk to all day long. She had got it well locked up there by the time that from an upper window she saw Mrs. Gareth again in the garden. At this she went down to meet her. End of chapter 9